0: If you're with anyone who does not support your being who you are, then you're with the wrong people. And I think as we get older, I think some of the depression that women get or experience is the fact that if they're not happy where they are, they're going to have to make a decision. And sometimes it's the... the The realization that you know that something has to change, but you know that if that changes, that's going to upset an apple cart for some other people. And I just want to encourage anyone that you have to live your life for you. Because when you come to the end of it, you know what you, the last thing you want to do is have regrets for what about you didn't for the things that you didn't do.
1: Hello, you are listening to the Late Bloomer Living Podcast, where we are reimagining and redefining what it means to be in midlife, where we are gathering energy, momentum, and excitement for our next chapter via candid conversations with other midlifers about their own pivots, pitfalls, and triumphs. I'm Yvonne Marchese, your host, and I'm so happy you're here. Hello, I'm so glad you're here. Hey, before we get kicking... I want to tell you about something new that I'm having so much fun with. I recently joined Clubhouse and I'm completely fascinated. (laughs) It's recently exploded so you might have heard of it but since it's still fairly new I'll explain it for anyone who hasn't heard of it yet. Um, Clubhouse is an iPhone app that allows people to host and to join in audio only conversations with other users. It's like a party line. Frankly, I've become a little obsessed because I would love to talk to you guys directly, and this provides a way to do that. I I love doing this podcast, but frankly, it gets a little lonely sometimes because it feels like a one-way conversation. So I've started hosting a room with a friend of mine. Uh, You might remember Deborah Schwartzfarb. She was my guest a while back on episode 26. Well... We are hosting a room every Tuesday evening from 7.30 to 8.30 Eastern Time in Clubhouse. The name of the room is What's Your Next Chapter?, Basically, it takes the whole idea of this podcast and turns it into a two-way conversation about what might be next for us as we navigate the messy middle of our lives and look to the future. We're going to talk about what's exciting to us, what's stopping us, and what we can do to bust through feeling stuck. The app is so new it's still in beta so it's not available on Android yet I'm sorry Android users but for those of you with an iPhone or an iPad I hope you'll check it out and come join in the conversation I'll be posting to Instagram and Facebook every week as a reminder and if you're already in Clubhouse you can follow me and I think it'll it'll show you when a room of mine goes live or is scheduled or something like that but anyway I'm still new to this thing so I'm just playing with it okay I think it's time to introduce you to our guest today I'm talking to Marianne Alda In the 1980s, Marianne was a television trailblazer as one of the first African-American daytime soap opera heroines. She played criminal attorney Dee Dee Bannister on ABC's Edge of Night, along with many other television appearances on shows like Designing Women. Oh my God, I love that show. I think I need to go back and watch some reruns. Um, Here's the thing. When Marianne turned 50, her thriving career came to a halt. See, I think we all know this, Hollywood isn't particularly kind to older women, and she fell into the gap, but she didn't just roll over and give up, she found a new path. Today she's blazing new trails, prosecuting ageism with her solo show, her TEDx talk, and as an official AARP age disruptor. She is 72 years old and is nowhere near slowing down. She is spunky and sassy and full of energy, and I hope you will walk away from today's show feeling a little bit of borrowed courage for your next chapter, just like I did after talking to her. Let's go. Hey, Marianne, thank you so much for being here with me today. My pleasure. Thanks for asking me. I'm excited. Um, so I always like to tell people how I found my guests. And uh, you. I, I came across you because I was looking through AARP. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, they have this really cool series called the Disruptor Series, which led me to your TED Talk, which I was like, I need to talk to her for sure. It was, it was awesome. So I'm so well, glad you're here
0: today. I'm glad to be here, you know, because... I, you know, you saw my TED talk, you saw my AARP video. You know, I've got a lot to say <laughs> about, about getting older and what it's like and how it should be celebrated. So we
1: can talk about that. We can talk about whatever you want to talk about, Yvonne, anything. Awesome. Well, I kind of want to talk, I kind of want to go back to what, I know you had like a, a moment, a moment of reckoning as you hit your fifties. Um mm-hmm. And uh, kind of want to go back to that and and you know, first of all, let's let people know the background before that, I guess, right? Let's let's go. Oh. <laughs> oh, okay. Hit okay. the rewind button and okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. So
0: I I some people may know me from my work on television because I'm an actress and I was one of the first African American uh soap opera heroines playing Didi Dee Dee Bannister on edge of night. A little memory boost there for people. <laughs>
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I remember the name Dee Dee Bannister from like, I didn't watch edge of night, but, um, but I, that name was, that was a name. Like well, I knew you, Dee Dee Bannister.
0: Well, and usually it was associated with Calvin and Dee Dee because they were like one of the first black like, super couples. And he, when <sighs> I came on I was supposed to come on for three months to create a love triangle between him and his wife. And I came on and the audience kind of liked Dee Dee and Calvin and their chemistry. He was a cop and I was a lawyer and there was that tension. And and his wife was on the road and had a baby by some other guy, anyway. So the, you know, she was no good. They're like,
1: whatever. She's no but, good. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. But <laughs> but he was married. So there was a, so it's a big buildup. up. And um, the actor Irving Allen Lee was just the most delightful man to play opposite. And sadly, he died young. He was one of the victims of the AIDS crisis.
1: Oh, really? And
0: he was. He, he we would have just. We would have so much fun together. I really enjoyed doing that show, and um, Ernie Townsend played my law partner. So it was—I basically worked with a small group of people. It was either it was Calvin and Dee then it was Cliff and Dee Dee. He was my law partner, and then it was Dee Dee and Mitzi because Mitzi was my roommate, and we would you know we would have we would have fun. It was a great show. Work on it was very familial, and then it all came to an end when the show was canceled. I moved to LA. And how many
1: years were you were you on that?
0: I came on in the summer of 1981, and then it went off the air in December of 1984. So I was there at the very end. At the very end, um, the last year of the show, Calvin and Dee got married. And then at the very end, I announced that we were going to have a baby.
1: So, oh, so you, you know, went out on a happy note. Went on
0: a happy note. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Very Hallmark Channel. <laughs> it was a Hallmark <laughs> Channel ending.
1: But um, yeah,
0: so I, because the show was canceled, the whole cast was out of work. So a lot of us migrated to LA, which was great because we were a support system for one another, and That's in a big LA. Deal.
1: Yeah, especially in LA, you get out there and it can be it could that could really eat you up. It 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 can be daunting,
0: mm-hmm. but um I had started out actually before I got the soap, I had started out doing street theater and uh, improvisational and sketch comedy. So my background is in comedy, so I thought, oh, I want to do sitcom. And I did. I did a lot of sitcom.
1: Um I did catch a cup, I, I did catch your uh, designing women. Uh, oh God. that was very fun. For, for some
0: reason, I have people come up to me say, Oh, you're waiting in the beamer. Where's your beamer? Because you know, <laughs> yes. Leah Ford was always waiting in the beamer. She was <laughs> sunshine, yuppie from hell, but it was fun to play. And the women were lovely. And in fact, Dixie Carter had been on Edge of Night. Before I got there, but she'd been on the show. Oh. And she came up to me because I had a that, my first episode, I had a lot of dialogue. And, you know, when the cast is used to being together and the guest cast comes on, they're kind of terrified, like, oh, please don't screw up because we're going to be here all night when we have to tape. And so I guess I did pretty good. And she came up to me and she said, you know... We've been together for such a long time that, you know, we sometimes we forget our manners, but I just want you to know you're doing a lovely job. <laughs> and I said, oh, she was so sweet. And I said, that thank is you. Sweet. And um, and Meshach kind of showed me, oh, here's a funny story about Meshach. And sadly, he is no longer with us either. But uh, his wife, Bianca Ferguson, was on General Hospital, which was another ABC show. and. I ran into her at an audition for something else. And I also did a movie with Meshek where we played husband and wife, a movie called Class Act, which has become kind of a, an urban cult classic. I played rapper Kid's mom, and he was his dad, and we were clueless parents. And I <laughs> ran into Bianca at an audition, and she said, girl, you in bed with my husband more than I am. <laughs> 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 but, but anyway so um so yeah so I, I I have a crazy career I've worked opposite some of my leading men have been Ernie Hudson Dennis Haysbert Clifton Davis I always played the girlfriend or the wife the appendage of I played OJ Simpson's wife for three season on first seasons on first and ten and then that tends I, to be the role for women, though, right? The, well, and this is the thing. Because I was considered a leading lady, mm-hmm. and I'm going to put this in air quotes, the pretty girl, mm-hmm. uh, and not considered a character actress, I think that's shortened my career. Mm-hmm. Because when the pretty girls get older, what do you do with them? Right. Uh, in fact, my agent suggested when I hit 50, he suggested that I gain 50 pounds so I could do more character work. Now that's no. First no. of all, and no, first of all, I first of all, I, you know, not that there's anything wrong with that, but I already have high blood pressure and I take medicine for cholesterol. So I don't think that health-wise, that was such a good uh, option for me. Right. um so uh anyway what i i did during my let's see during my i guess it was about 50 51 there is an 18 month period when i had the big what i call the big midlife trifecta my career went into the crapper and casting directors stopped calling me my husband at the time decided he didn't want to be married anymore and then my parents both became ill my father died and my mother was diagnosed with cancer <clears throat> so i holy crap it, 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 it was a lot yeah um and it was and it was when it and it was and that was also when 9/11 happened it was yeah it was 2001 mm.
1: and
0: so i had been living in la for 20 years i'm came back to Chicago and went through we got my dad buried. my, my mother moved in with my sister <clears throat> and then my sister was working in her corporate job. See that's the thing about actors. I think people who are who have straight jobs think that actors are just available. It's like well, <laughs> you're not doing a show right now. you can come take care of mom which you know it was fine and I and I did. Mm-hmm. And so I got her through her, um, uh, chemo and that was about a year. And I was thinking about moving back to Chicago and my son who was in his twenties at the time was helping me look for a condo in downtown Chicago. I was thinking about relocating and we had been doing that for a couple of days. And then finally he said, you know what, mom, there's only two places for a star in the sky and in Hollywood. And I think you should go back to LA. Cause that's what, that's who you are and that's what you love. And I did.
1: Aww. So God
0: bless him. Bless him. Um,
1: exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Aww. And
0: yeah, he's a good kid. My, my, my a good kid. He's 47, but <laughs> he's still my baby. Um, but, uh, but when I went back to LA I thought, so what am I going to do to make a living? And I decided, first of all, actors have a natural curiosity about the human condition. So I spent a year in training to become a hypnotherapist. And as luck would have it, most of my clients were going they were suffering from depression. There were women in their late forties, early fifties, and they just had this deep status about them. And, and I realized by working with these women that we as a culture have been hypnotized into believing that women lose value as we get older. Mm-hmm. And that's what these women were feeling. They were feeling that, well, they were empty nesters. The kids were out of the house, you know, they weren't, you know, hot, sexy, young things anymore, their lives were over. Well, maybe in the 1800s, their lives were over (laughs) 40 or 50. But in these days, people are living into their 80s and 90s. So what are you supposed to do for the second half of your life? Just hang around? Yeah, yeah. So again, actors are highly suggestible. So the positive suggestions I was giving my clients during our sessions were also taking root in my own subconscious mind. And that led me back to my acting career because I could not tell these women to do something that I was not following Mm -hmm. myself. And Mm -hmm. I am an actor and a storyteller. So I, and also a writer. I have a double major theater and journalism In from a double concentration, theater and journalism from college. Um, Southern Illinois University, in case any Salukis are listening. <laughs> um, and so the very first solo show I did was called Snap Out of It, You've Only Been Hypnotized into Believing You're Over the Hill. And I did it at the I trained at the Hypnosis Motivation Institute in Tarzana, California, and I did that show in their auditorium. And women were coming up to me and letting me know that this is something that was really needed. And, you know, that that just did it for me. I thought, okay, this is my path. This is my journey. My mission is to change the paradigm on women and aging and so i i've done several sketch comedy shows i i developed this uh performance art character adult six ed evangelist and mojo motivator dr ginger and, <laughs> and um because that that's another thing women i think as we get older the things that that happen just naturally biologically you know, you know, like the things that women are, younger women are, are admired for. You know, perky tits, a tight ass. You know, those things aren't mm-hmm. quite as tight as they were once upon a time. <laughs> nope. um, and so, and so, women, if we're not getting the same attention that we were getting from men when we were younger, you know, they kind of feel that they have lost value, and and they start losing their sense of sensuality and sexuality Mm -hmm. and it's that feeling of being invisible right 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 and Mm -hmm. and, and I'm, I'm sorry I don't care if you're having sex or not like right now I don't have a partner and my god we're you know on lockdown so I don't think I'll be dating anytime soon um but uh Although if any nice gentlemen are listening I'm available um or or ladies if you have a nice uncle or you know you you know if your dad is a widower or something call me um but um no but the, the truth is that women tend to I, I just I just feel that women as being sexual beings doesn't have anything to do necessarily with the sexual act you know it has to do with how we feel about themselves. I have, I can do this if if you don't mind. There's a monologue that I do in my show. Oh, please. It's called High Maintenance Chick. Uh-huh. And Dr. Ginger is sharing her story, and she's saying, you know, in my struggle to, in my quest for, I have often been bludgeoned with the moniker high maintenance chick. And for the longest time, I felt compelled to apologize. But for what I was never quite sure of, I mean, for what? For wanting to be my best self? For indulging in manicures and pedicures and facials and massages and eyebrow waxing? For buying Victoria's Secret lingerie, not to seduce a man, but because I like the feeling of satin and lace against my own skin and for taking care of my body, not to be somebody's decorative ornament, but because I have to live in it and I need it to be healthy and strong so that I can get as much mileage out of it as I can for as long as I can. And yes, because I need it to be aesthetically pleasing to me. Whenever I have to look at myself in the mirror. Well, I don't know if it's the wisdom that comes with conscious aging or maybe it was the therapy. But I no longer feel compelled to apologize. I now take great pride in being considered a high maintenance chick. That's right, I'm big, I'm bold, I'm italicized and capitalized, five exclamation points, a high maintenance chick. And to all of my much maligned, misunderstood, misrepresented high maintenance sisters out there who've been told that they were too big or too loud or too much, hashtag BLM, Big and loud matters. (laughs) Anyway, this is what I suggest you say the next time some guy tries to drop a dime on you because of your standards. Baby, you cannot treat a thoroughbred the same way you treat a plow horse and expect to maintain the same high quality thoroughbred performance levels. Now, since you're with me, I assume what you're wanting is a thoroughbred because Well, horse doesn't live here anymore. Now, I might understand how this could all be kind of new to you and so I will be patient while you adjust and I will understand if it's too much for you to handle in which case, you're just gonna have to move on. But before you go, remember this, a thoroughbred is sleeker and faster. And we'll get you in the winner's circle. And oh, yeah, did I mention that you also get a better ride? Mm -hmm. So, what's it gonna be, baby? Hi ho, Silver, or giddy up? (laughs) (laughs) So, so, you know, (laughs) and I do practice what I preach. I mean, I. We have to take care of ourselves. I mean, self-love. I think the older we get, you know, a lot of times when we're younger, you know, like you're raising young family, you're young children, and you so much during our early lives, we're doing so much for other people. That you know, when suddenly the nest is empty, and our value as a caretaker and nurturer is gone. Well, what do we do? Well, we have to give value and caretake ourselves. And we're worthy. We're worth it. Ladies, if there's anybody out there listening, look in the mirror at least once a day and tell yourself that you are worthy and that you are beautiful and that you love yourself. Just do that for me.
1: <laughs> yes. Yes. It's- no, do that for yourself. Exactly. Exactly. Boy, what, how we talk to ourselves. So important. We do, and we pick
0: up. Why is it that we always want to believe the negative things about ourselves, and why is it so hard for us to sometimes take a compliment? You know, somebody will say, Oh, you look nice today, yeah, thank you. I just threw this on, or you know, we tend to mm-hmm. um uh, diminish ourselves, and right? you know, um, I, I have this one friend, <clears throat> and uh, uh he's he's Happens to be gay. Not that that means anything, but you would ask him and say, "Dwayne, how you doing? Hey, Dwayne, how you doing? I'm hot and everybody wants me and you." (laughs) And I think we should just feel that. I thought, whoa, I'm going to start start saying that about you know, how you doing, Marianne? I'm hot and everybody wants me and you. You know, we
1: should just you know practice that." I think that's great. I have a friend who I call and I'll I'll be like, "How you doing?" He's like, "I'm winning. I'm just winning the game of life." I like that. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> yeah, but I think I like I'm hot
0: and everybody wants.
1: I you. do. It's I better. do. <laughs> I do. I need to adopt that. Oh my goodness. And we need we all need to stop apologizing too. Oh my goodness, right? I yeah. Yeah. A,
0: and and that's kind of become my platform shameless aging, because I think we, women, sometimes do it to ourselves when we lie about our age as if it was something to be embarrassed about. Mm -hmm. I always, I'm 72. I always tell people that I'm 72. And they say, well, why do you admit your age? You don't, you don't look it. And I go, yes, I do. I am 72 and I look 72. This is Marianne at 72. Don't take that away from me. Yeah. And and I also want to change the vernacular about, you know, we say that, oh well, ageless beauty. It's ageless. No, it's age full. I don't want to be ageless. I have earned every single one of my 72 years. So I don't want to be ageless. I want to be acknowledged for being age full. I want credit for those years.
1: Damn straight. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Can I get an amen out there? Amen. Listen I was there. just going to say amen. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> What so? So, when you went back from Chicago to Los Angeles, and Mm -hmm. then you you went, you you started with the the hypnotherapy Mm -hmm. back and and decided kind of stepped back from your your acting career. Mm -hmm. No, I I didn't step back from it, it stepped back from me. (laughs) Gotcha. Okay. So, so you were still trying to put it together, but when you said you felt the obligation to the women that you were. Um, that you were helping through hypnotherapy. That was the beginning of you doing your own writing and your yes. own one woman shows, right? And that was kind of like where you were like, screw it, the they're not coming to me. It's time for me to create my own opportunities. Absolutely, yeah. And um, actually, I think I've always been
0: a little bit ahead of my time, so that now, um, I think. Well, first of all, let me back up. I think Madison Avenue has always been ahead of Hollywood. Um, Because if you notice in commercials, you will see vibrant and energetic looking women, you know, who are running or they're dancing or they're taking yoga class. And they're obviously mature women. As an actor, some of the scripts that I would get for women my age, she was decrepit. There was always something wrong with her. She had one eye or one leg or one tooth or there was something wrong. She was losing her mind. She was, or she was just uh, crazy. Hmm. There was always something wrong with her or she was described as frail or feeble. And Mm -hmm. I'm thinking, no. So I would audition for those roles and uh, (laughs) I'm going to say this. Okay. As, as a young actress, back in the 70s and 80s, I was often told that, um, well, I wasn't black enough, you know, because I didn't do stereotypes. Mm. And so now that I'm an old, so I had to fight that battle. And now as an older woman, I'm fighting that battle again, because I don't do stereotypes of what somebody's wrong-minded image is of what old is supposed to be like Mm -hmm. so I'm about changing the paradigm on that and it's like with shows like Grace and Frankie I love Mm -hmm. that show (laughs) because you see Lily Tomlin and and um Uh, Jane Fonda, you know, with the vibrators and they're sexual and they're fun and they have, but they still, they talk about real things like, you know, the aches and the pains and the fact that, no, they're not young anymore, but they're not dead. And this is the thing. I mean, don't put yourself in the grave and before it's time, don't stop living. You know, don't give up on life and stop living, you know, until, you know, death will come and get you. It'll let you know when it's time. But, right. you know, you don't have to go chasing after it. We have to be authentically who we are. It's like in, you know, my piece when I say, if you've been told that you were too big or too loud or too much, um, if you're with a group of people who are constantly trying to dim who you are, then you're with the wrong group of people. Y- you know, I, I am an actor. I'm just... I own my quirks and everything that make me, me. And most of my friends who are actors, we're all like this. We're all big and loud and crazy. <laughs> and with my friends that I would, my girlfriends who are, who are, you know, I called civilians who went into teaching or corporate America, they, you know, they're used to me and they just love me and they just go, Oh, that's Marianne. You know? So if you can't be with somebody that will allow you to be, I won't even, she didn't even say allow, because uh, that's a wrong, that's like you need permission, but you give yourself permission. If you're with anyone who does not support your being who you are, then you're with the wrong people. And I think as we get older, I think some of the depression that women get or experience is the fact that. If they're not happy where they are, they're going to have to make a decision. And sometimes it's the, the, the realization that you know that something has to change, but you know that if that changes, that's going to upset an apple cart for some other people.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I just want to encourage anyone that you have to live your life for you because when you come to the end of it you know what you the last thing you want to do is have regrets for what about you didn't for the things that you didn't do now i have had disappointments you know things haven't you know i've been married twice things haven't always worked out the way i planned or how i would have liked for them to but that's life the thing that i can honestly say is that i have no regrets because i always honored. I'm going to back up. I know it seems like I'm jumping around here, which I am, but I'm a very spiritual person. And I feel that talent is what God gives to you. And what you do with it is your gift to God. And if I was not acting and doing the things that I'm doing, I feel that that would be a sin, the greatest sin, because we all have different talents and gifts and abilities. And if you're not sure about what yours are, I suggest that you read a little bit about Carl Jung because I read, I followed Carl Jung and I realized that I was genetically predisposed with my energy and my curiosity to be who I am in life. I mean, I my... Genetically, I'm supposed to be an actor. What else would you do with all of this? <laughs> you know? <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, and, you know, and once I, and the fact that it was hard for me for, to come out of the closet because nobody in my family is in show business. But if I look at my parents and, and, I can see well, genetically, I see where I got a lot of it. you know, the energy well, that's and interesting. The- I'm gonna back
1: you up on that. Hang on, hang on. I just heard something interesting in there in that okay. you you referred to it as coming out of the closet to become right. an actor. So what that's that's really interesting. So there you didn't have an example of that in your family, I nope. take it. And, or any support or any support. And that happens so often with yeah. actors. it's it's. It's such an unstable career. I think a lot of times what what families and parents are trying to do is keep you safe. Mm-hmm. But in the me in the, in the, you know it it's likened to like if somebody is gay and needs to come out of the closet. You know, I think probably a parent's instinct is like, no, you can't do that. You you're going to get destroyed. Um, it's it's an interesting parallel there because uh, there are a lot of actor. You know, I'm an actor. My parents were were very supportive of me actually uh, pursuing an acting career back in the day. But, but I also came from a family that didn't, that wasn't part of that wasn't, nobody was doing that. Right. Um, right. And luckily my parents were supportive, but I have a lot of friends who that they weren't. So did, was that, a, was that a struggle for you when you first started?
0: Um, yeah, it was. There are a lot of educators in my family mm-hmm. and my rebellion was not to take education courses, <laughs> but I like I had a double concentration in theater and journalism. So my first jobs right out of college was, um, I worked at People's Gas Company in Chicago in their public relations department mm-hmm. for a year. And then I moved to New York and I worked for Burson Marsteller in their PR department. And then I worked for ABC, And I was, uh, my beat was daytime uh, TV. Really? Now, now here's an interesting story. At ABC, the PR department was like a newsroom. So it was a big open room and there were 12 desks, like a a row of four and three deep. And when I... I started at ABC. I did not know that I was pregnant at the time. I had been married for a year and a half and I was pregnant. And um, I was planning on coming back, but when my son was three months old, I auditioned for a theater company that had a contract with the Parks Department for the city of New York and I auditioned. So my very first job was a paying gig, 75 bucks a week and all you could beg in the street. And I had that a is
1: an accomplishment for an actor. <laughs> I'm just going to tell anybody who does not know that for an actor to have their first gig, be a paid gig, is a big deal. Oh, but there were many after that, but there was no money. Right, but, but
0: it was almost like it was like a sign. And so, when my maternity leave was over, I did not go back to ABC, and I pursued my career as an actor. I thought this is a sign. Now, and this is what I say to actors, too, because it is a mindset. When my husband and I got married, he married a working woman. And I figured that that's part of our deal. And that if I was going to be an actor, I was going to get paid. I was always going to be a working actor, Mm. whatever that meant. So Mm -hmm. I did a lot of television commercials because that paid really well. And then I did a lot of off-off Broadway theater at night for no money. But I made sure that I held up my end of the bargain. Mm -hmm. And I think the fact that I, I look at it this way. If I do my business, which is getting work, then I get to do the thing that I love to do, which would be for no money. Mm -hmm. And anyway, I I left ABC and seven years later, I'm back at ABC and I'm starring on Edge of Night, which is one of the ABC soap operas. And the woman who now had my old daytime soap opera beat had had the desk two rows behind me and she knew me from there. And she said- So she said, I'm not going to mention her name, uh, but she said, well, you know, Marianne, you're really good at this. So do you want to write your own bio and stuff? And and I said, no, I said, but I, I do know what questions you should ask me. (laughs) And so (laughs) she did the bio. And when she finished, she said, wow, you've really done something with your life. And that let me know right there, you know, she had been there for seven years. If she didn't feel during that interim period that she had done anything with her life, that said to me, everything oh. I needed to know about what dreams that she didn't follow, right. what she had let I go. Kind
1: of, I my heart is broken for her, you yeah. know? And I think that, the, oh my gosh, we we do that to ourselves, don't we? Like so many people head down a path that is, that, that looks good on paper, that Mm -hmm. checks all the boxes and don't, you know, uh, it's, it's a trap that we can fall into. It's so, and it's so hard to get out of, um, you know, you make it sound so easy for yourself, Marianne. I want to ask you, what did you, like when it when it sounds to me like when you decide to do things, you just do them. Do, do you run into your own roadblocks? Do you do you ever find you're in your own way? Well,
0: it's you know this is funny. My father was a Pullman porter on the railroad, and he used to bring books and things that you know the the you know passengers would leave on the train. And I remember he brought this one book home. I remember this. I was nine years old, and it was Maxwell Maltz's Psycho Cybernetics that I was reading at nine years old. I was thinking, you know, what is it? Think and grow rich. You know, at ten or (laughs) eleven, you know, these kinds of books that that talk about your belief system and your mind and what Mm. to and, and how to pursue things. So. I had that kind of as a basic foundation and then there was an, another book that was real popular back in, I think the seventies, it was called feel the fear and do it anyway do it anyway. Yeah. Yeah. That's all you need to know is the title. So I, I, I never let anything, I never let the fact that I was afraid uh, stop me from doing anything as a matter of fact I kind of did my life I thought okay if if I'm getting too comfortable it's time for me to do something else that's more challenging so I've I've, I've always run into the fear I've never run away from it
1: mm. mm-hmm. I've you know for me I have managed to it's always been a goal for me to do that to mm-hmm. to run to to um to run into that fear I mean my when my husband and I met um we met on tour and, uh, when we decided to get married and and everything, we, we, we promised each other that we would always take what we call the interesting route, um, which I, I think we've managed to do. You know, we, we, we don't make a lot of money. We, we don't, you know, but we do try to make our choices based on, on doing something where there there's, there's interest and there's challenge and, But I mean, but, but still there's been times, especially once we had kids, I got, I started playing the safe game. And for, for many years there, I was just working a job and just doing what we needed to do to survive both of us, you know? um, Well, I I just want to say for a minute, you know, that we have different seasons.
0: So the fact that you did that at that time, that's what you needed to do. Mm Mm-hmm. But look at what you're doing now. You know what I mean? You don't try to uh, do it all at once. Um, y- you have to be conscious of, you know, what's happening in your life at, at any particular given t- uh, time. You, you you know, you have to match the circumstances. But you didn't give up on your dream. You know, you're having this podcast. You, you know, it might be the next Oprah or mm-hmm. Barbara Walters or something. Who knows? But you're doing, I would say you're doing right now what you love to do, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, so we have different, like I said, we have different seasons. That's a good point. Yeah. 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 And so don't beat yourself up for what you're not doing because maybe that's the time you're supposed to be plowing the field, mm. you know, Hmm. and, and, you know, sometimes stop. I mean, for me, I always say that hard work is never, was never difficult for me. I was always willing to work hard. What I have, what has been my lesson as I've gotten older is to allow, Mm -hmm. not always to do, but sometimes Mm -hmm. to be still and allow. And I got that lesson when I got cancer and I had, um, I had uterine cancer. and I thought, oh, I'm healthy, I exercise. Why am I getting what is the, what is the lesson that I need to know? and I and I did a meditation and I asked my body what I needed to know and and literally, the answer came to me that I needed to be still and I needed to be, as kind to myself as I am to other people mm. because I think I had used up a lot of my inner resources and being the nurturer and the caretaker for other people. Yeah, I went to Catholic school. There's a part of me that was wanted to be, you know, very, very much the good girl and do the right thing. And the lesson that I learned was to how to say no. And mm. that it's sometimes you have to say no and put yourself first and that does not make you a bad
1: person here here yeah. yeah it is it really is something and it's something that I'm I'm having to learn also also as a, a Catholic girl um Maya culpa Maya culpa <laughs> is uh you know it, is that people pleasing thing that uh, you know can so get in the way because if you're saying yes, to something, you're also saying no to something. They it's it, it, it's a given. And learning how to say yes to the things that you really value, right? Mm-hmm. Is is and it and it's hard sometimes because somebody asks you to do something at, or you know, you're you're asked to contribute in a way and it's, I have to start listening better to, to myself, to, to what's, you know, to my immediate gut reaction to being asked to do something and whether or not that's really, um, you know, whether or not that should be a yes or a no. Oh,
0: right. And, and, you know, it's even, there's a story about it in the Bible. Now I know there's a Martha in there and I'm not sure which sister she was, but Jesus came to visit or he was holding court or whatever. And I think it was Martha. Martha was running around and she was, you know, making sure that everybody was fed and everybody had, you know, everybody had wine and everybody's, you know, and she was just, and her sister was just like sitting at Jesus's feet and going like, oh Jesus, you're amazing. You know, kind of, she was like, and, and she was getting all the attention and eventually Martha got really pissed off and she said, well, Jesus, you're not paying attention to me and I'm doing all the work. And Jesus looked at her and he said, nobody told you to do all that shit. Sit your ass down, join the party. Okay. I am paraphrasing. So please don't come after me. Cause yes, I know. I'm
1: pretty <laughs> sure you got the spirit of it there. Though. Yes, <laughs> the <way> I remember. <laughs> You know, Jesus said, nobody
0: told you to do all that. Come on, join the party. (laughs) And I think we as women do that. We think we have to run around and get everything right. And then we get pissed off because- Right,
1: right. (laughs) Oh, I've done it a million times. (laughs) Just stop, don't do it. Nobody asked you to. It's
0: like, you're not gonna get extra credit for it. Do what you want now sometimes because I love to give parties and I like to be a hostess. But I'm doing it from the sense of that's what I want to do when it gets to be. I don't do it out of any sense of obligation or, you know, it's like Mm -hmm. if I want to do it, even if I wear myself into a tizzy, I I'll, you know, I'll take a nap the next day. Yeah. You know, I will have had a good time because sometimes seeing people have a good time makes me happy. Um, But. I don't do it out of any sense
1: of obligation, and that way there's no resentment. Yeah, and so you had to learn allow. I love that word. I love that word. One one of my words um, with the med- meditation sometimes is surrender. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it, it, in a it's a freeing kind of surrender, and allow has that same same feeling. It's really that's so empowering. And and I love the idea of like you said, you love giving the parties, but you choose it. You know, sometimes I'll I don't know about you, but I'll I'll get to, to feeling overwhelmed and I, I have to, I should, I have to, I should, and I get that feeling. And sometimes it's just flipping that language and and remembering I get to. Right. I, I get to do this thing. I get and to and you chose to. Right. Yeah. Sometimes I just have to remind myself that I don't have to. Yeah. I get to. Yeah. And that changes everything. What? So, so these days, what? Oh, we didn't even talk about you like starting stand up. Oh, yeah.
0: Okay. So, again, my mother was, uh, my sister was moving to New York and my mother's living with her. My father had been dead for a number of years and I was living in California and she said, I, my sister said, you know, I would never ask you to come back to Chicago. She said, "But you could do your career in New York, right?" And so, yeah, so I <laughs> came and I and I was my mom's caretaker and when I got to New York, they were living on Long Island in Westbury, Long Island. And I got to New York and I realized that there is no way I could leave my mother alone for several hours during the day to go into the city to audition. So, my sister would come home from work. I would meet her at the train station. I would get her Long Island Railroad Pass and I would go back into the city and started doing stand-up comedy. And uh, at the beginning, a lot of it was just about, you know, my mother being an actor, being a, being an older. And I just started doing stand-up because, it, you know, it's just like I said to you, you know, that you, there was a season... When you had to take care of your kids and mm-hmm. and you weren't doing your creative thing. Well, I couldn't act or audition for acting roles, but I could still be creative. And that's when I started doing stand-up. Yeah, that's and what how I old did were for, you at
1: this point? This was oh, I was in my 50s, 50s? right? Yeah, late 50s. Damn. I yeah. mean, I can't imagine well improv and and stand-up comedy are two things for me that are just terrifying
0: it is it's very different when you're yourself but did I did I remember I did say that I do the thing that scares me so I I did it and I uh, but but this is what I did because I at first I would go out there and it would be like oh god I I can't do this but I'm I made the audience my scene partner. Mm. So I wouldn't look at them as an audience that was judging me. I looked at them as though we're in this together Mm -hmm. and I have something to tell you. And they would, you know, and they would communicate back to me by nodding or laughing or, you know, or sometimes not Nodding or laughing, but we were in that scene together, and that's that's
1: some got- mental judo. That yes. is what that is. Wow. Yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm giving you another amen. <laughs> okay, I'll take it. Wow, wow, wow! That is amazing. Holy crap! Is there anything that that people just misunderstand about you, or just get wrong? Yes, they do. <laughs> it's funny <laughs> you said that.
0: Because <laughs> I remember, I remember what had happened. I was doing an episode of the Parkers. And um, that was that's with Monique, the stand up Monique. Mm-hmm. And I had to play this I get cast as these, you know, like Lita Ford, and, you know, I get cast as these stuck up women. <laughs> no, wait a second, because I, on Family Matters, I played Sherman Hemsley's ditzy um, stripper girlfriend. So that was <laughs> a little out of character. So I either play ditzy or stuck up, uh, you know, haughty women. And I was mm-hmm. playing a haughty woman who was having a book club. And I guess, because of the way I look maybe the way I speak and there is something of the upscale suburban housewife that people seem to cast me as or think of me as or whatever and I remember I was sitting in the makeup chair and the woman was who was doing my makeup said And I think I had been on this show Now I I think this is maybe the third or fourth day. Yeah, it was the fourth day because we were doing, having dress rehearsal. (laughs) She said, "Mm mm-hmm. She said, people don't know you, do they? I looked at her in the mirror. I said, what do you mean? She said, you come off as like this little sadiddy housewife, but girl, you crazy. (laughs) (laughs) That was the nicest compliment, you know. I sometimes coach actors and I tell them so, if there are any young actors listening or older actors, you just need to know that always do you. Do you. Don't try to fit the job. Because I can remember taking a class with the great Stella Adler, it was a script interpretation class in New York. And Stella said, You know, we are who we are. No one would buy me as a washerwoman. You know, and she's no, who would believe that I could be a washerwoman? So if you, we have these, you know, innate things about us that, you know, do you, don't try to fit the role if that's not who you are, because you'll just be a poor
1: imitation. I think that's great advice for not just actors but really for everybody. Just do you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, cuz you know, we try to be something for other people or fit some 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 image um that we think other people want from us, right? And mm-hmm. and and all we're really doing is cheating everybody of of our of getting the real deal, you know, it's Absolutely. assuming, and we're, and it's not fair to other people really, because we're just assuming, we're just operating in our own little bubble of what we think people want from us. Right. Because of, we're,
0: we're afraid of being rejection, mm-hmm. but it's not, I don't, I don't take it personally. You know, it's like, there's a part of me that has always thought of myself, especially in, in this industry as a product. Mm-hmm. And, you know, some people want Tide. Some people want cheer. They'll both wash your clothes, you know, they'll both get your clothes clean. But, you know, maybe some people like the, the smell of one detergent over another.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, you never know why. So you find I, your people. Absolutely. You, you, you do you do you and the right and you're going to find the right ones. That's right. awesome. Oh, Marianne, I want, I want to be respectful of your time. I I could talk to you all day. We might have to could- <laughs> I I get I get so excited sometimes. Um, I'm gonna wrap it up and and I want I just want to ask like what is the next big thing for you? What are you excited about? What am I excited
0: about? Well, I I know what I this is this is what I want people to do. <laughs> I want you to check out my TED Talk. Because I think there's something in it for everybody.
1: Yes, and um, I will put a link in the show notes for that oh, for people. Oh, okay. Too.
0: And um, and Aging Shamelessly is my platform. And on Instagram, uh, starting in on February the 14th, I'm going to be doing different, what I call programming, you know, seven days a week. I'm gonna do, I'm gonna have some comedy on there. I'm gonna have some motivation and inspiration. I'm gonna have some memes. I'm going to have some videos. And I, I just want, you know, we're, we're still going to be on lockdown for God knows how long. And people need to laugh and they need to feel good. They need to, they need to be motivated. So I can do
1: that. So that's what I'm going to do. I love it. So this time's out so well for people. Um, you may have missed a couple of days by the time you hear this, but head on over and uh, go to Instagram and check out Marianne there. And I will have links for you in the show notes and Terrific. make sure that everybody can get there and and, and get some happy from you. Well,
0: that that would be great. And, and hopefully once we come out of um, the pandemic, I'll be doing my solo show again. And the name of my solo show is getting old as a bitch. But I'm going to wrestle that bitch to the ground.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Amen. Amen. (laughs) Thank you so much, Marianne. I totally appreciate you being here today. Well, there you have it. Marianne is basically what I want to be when I grow up. Brave and unstoppable. You know... I have a couple of things in the works that I'm going to need to be courageous about in order to get where I want to go. So I'm setting a challenge for myself today. I'm going to do something every day this week that scares me, even if it's just a little thing every day. Will you join me? If so, send me a message on Instagram or Facebook if you're in. You don't have to, but I'd love to know if you're in. Um, I'd love to hear from you. Hey, and you can even jump in the conversation on Clubhouse Tuesday night. That could be your scary thing for Tuesday. Uh, if you want to know more about Marianne, I'll have that information for you in the show notes. You can just go to latebloomerliving.com slash podcast and click on the show notes for episode 37. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you have a fantastic week. Stay safe and well. Talk soon.